Hello, this is Taboo Winslow Mars, sole owner and founder of Triumphant Athletic Agency and author. Let's play ball and win. Thank you for tuning into my podcast, Confronting Galalith, a genuine discussion with and for genuine folk. Today, our genuine discussion is about the Galalith of the impact of COVID and how it is either impeding the hiring process and or not due to the great resignation. I'm going to read a article that was released um, for, for the Human Resource Magazine. Um, it is, what edition is this? This is the winter edition 2021. And it says, it's from the CEO, and it says, Employers Need to Recruit for Skill but Hire for Fit by Johnny C. Taylor, Jr. In today's ultra-competitive labor market, organizations are actively pursuing talent to keep up with what has become known as the Great Resignation. We have seen workers' expectations shift dramatically since the onset of the pandemic. As the cover story for this issue of HR Magazine examines, it really has become an employer's employee's market where workers wield more influence than we've ever seen. And with hiring demand surging, we witnessed accelerated wage inflation. Yet despite these trends, employers must maintain their commitment to selectively hiring new talent. As always, organizations need to serve to solve for their skills. They need to solve for their skills gap. The talent they seek must be able to fulfill their needs. It starts with identifying people with the right acumen to perform the work required. Indeed, businesses is at the point where they need for the need for human capital has surpassed the need for financial capital. Human capital isn't homogeneous. Finding the right talent requires sifting through a broad spectrum of individual skill sets, experiences, and characteristics to find best to find people best suited for the work and the workplace. We have a great resignation. Some of you might say, well, what, what does that mean? What does a great resignation mean? It means that so many people during COVID, when the doors of the companies opened back, back up, they did not want to, um, they didn't want to go back to work. <laughs> they didn't want to go back to their same job. So they resigned. Some people resigned because the jobs opened up and they had fear that they didn't want to go back into that environment. Some people resigned because they didn't feel appreciated by the companies. Um, Some people resigned because they saw an opportunity to make more income or they had a better opportunity somewhere else that offered work-life balance or gave them the choice to work remotely. So, you know, that's why we have this great resignation. 
we have a shortage in this company, in this country, for um, truck drivers. We have a shortage now for bus drivers. I mean, I just watched on the news yesterday where the state of Maryland, some of the school districts in the state has asked for help from the National Guard to come in and actually drive their school buses for them because they are lacking that many people to drive school buses. We have um, a shortage of teachers. We have a shortage of workers in the food services um, area. Um, and I work for, I work in education. I work for um, CCBC Catonsville. And um, we actually have a, um, a really high shortage of um, employees. Well, we have a large pool of um, openings. And I don't know exactly what all of the categories are for those openings at CCBC, but you can check the website because I, I know that our company, would, our people would love to see your um, applications come through. Um, but we are, we are at the great resignation. This is like something that has never been seen in the history of the United States in a long time, where where employees have a upper hand in their in their seek for better life or better job, it's the first time, if you can recall, before COVID. You know, to be able to work from home wasn't a you know it wasn't a norm. Most companies didn't, did not allow their employees to work from home, but COVID forced us to learn how to do things different. It forced us how to telecommute. It forced us how to get tech savvy. It taught us how to do better with, um, video conferencing. Um, it taught us a lot of things that, you know, were in the, in your, in the forefront People could see it coming to fruition, but they didn't know that it was going to be dropped right in their lap. And then we have people who didn't do well, didn't didn't like being, you know, didn't want to work virtual. They they're people people, and they prefer being in, you know, being in person, being able to really talk at the the you know, their neighbor go down to their neighbor at, in the office and, and say, hey, how you doing face to face? Some people needed that interaction. And this great resignation has shown us that we really must be creative when we fill these spots. It's no longer, it's no longer just, you know, you know, this is what I offer you. This is what you get. Now the negotiation table is really, is really, is really, you know, coming forward to those, those companies that are going to be the next great company in the 21st, 21st century. And I really wanted to do this podcast with other people, but because is an HR topic, and um, 
some of my HR professionals have been a little leery on getting on the podcast um, and offering help um, for um, for people to find out what things they should do to make themselves more attractive to to new employers. My favorite, one of my favorite books is Good to Great, and it's from Jim Collins. And I, I purchased this book, good Lord, I've had this book for probably about, um, I would say at least 20 years. At least 20 years, I've, maybe 15 years that I first purchased this book, Good to Great. And it is actually very... It's actually very um, timely because it talks about how companies should not just, you know, they, they, it talks about building your, your company's culture and onboarding the right people. And it talks about one, one part in the book, it talks, it mentions, um, it mentions like being, you know, when you don't need somebody, you, you, you form, but you come across somebody that's great, that you think is a good fit for your organization, and you bring them on anyway. And I really believe that in this new great resignation world, that we're going to have to, we're going to actually have to um, do a little bit better. Um, with how we recruit for for new for new employees because we gotta be creative. And in this magazine, in the HR magazine for the winter of 2021, it even talks about how some people, some organizations are giving employers off for just reg- for religious holidays. And how, um, how they're, they're like, like when we switched over to not just having leave and switched it over to PTO, paid time off, then you got to use your, some companies that did that, got to use their flexibility on what holidays they wanted to take off. And you wasn't stuck with whatever holidays the company had. But they also have have holidays as well that are designated holidays for for their employees. I wanted to the first thing I wanted to talk about is how you how how do we foresee the industry going forward? Um, I think that. The industry has forever changed. Um, I think that when a HR professional gets a resume in their hand, they're going to look for transferable skills, um, which they were doing in the past. But I think because of COVID, we've had so many um, businesses that have gone out of business that we have a pool of candidates that would not have been there if it had not been for COVID. Um, 
like business owners that now are now have to reinvent themselves because now they're no longer a business owner they're looking to be an employee because they've lost their business they may not have the traditional resume um, that your typical um, resume look like because they might have ran their company for maybe 20 years Yes, they have, they will have maybe CEO on there and the job description of a CEO, but they might actually end up going into a job where um, it's not a CEO position, maybe it's middle management. And they pull from their leadership, they look at their leadership um, skills and experience and translate that into a new skill that the company is seeking because they have that entrepreneurship experience. They bring a new flavor to the organization. And I really believe that, I really believe that um, this post-COVID world with this great resignation that companies are really going to have to look different at their candidate pool. Um, We have now companies, because of the great resignation, have the opportunity to have a increase of employees that will have chance for promotion internal promotions and that might shift the culture of organizations. It may help them get to the next level. I just think that we have to, as HR professionals, we will have to look at talent a little bit differently. The other thing that I see that has already shifted in the industry is wages are going up. I know that in, at, my, at the company that I am actually um, a full-time employee at, um, we were blessed to have two, we got three raises last year, which was good. Um, however, because of inflation, the inflation ate up our raises. (laughs) So I think that companies with that stated, yes, they are raising, some people are jumping for higher raises or higher income rather. And I think companies are going to have to look at how, when they formulate the offer to a to a potential candidate, I think they're not only gonna have to look at the salary, but they're gonna have to look at the other perks along with the salary. Like, whatever things that you have to offer. Do you offer telework? Um, do you, with your benefits, do you offer telemedicine? Um, do you have leave for adult daycare and child daycare? Do you include mental health services? Um, Do you offer offer a flexible spending plan? Um, 
do you are you giving more vacation leave? Do you are you giving a up up to are you giving an upfront bonus? Um, I mean, they're gonna have to really pull out all the stops to get the great people. Now, the other thing I see is what do those business owners do or those employees that's been on a job for 20 years, 15 years, 30 years, um, five years, and that was the only job they had. And now they're caught in a rock and a hard place where they have to, where they have to decide, okay, do I take this job that, you know, pays me a little better, but it, I'm, I'm not as comfortable with what my duties are going to be. Will my transferable, my transferable skills, um, will my transferable skills fit in? Will I fit in with the culture? What do I do to make myself um, re-event myself into a, a great candidate? And not only be a great candidate, but when I onboard, be an awesome employee. How do I bring my A game? Do I have to change my resume? Now, I know I've, I've actually have had the... I've actually had someone one time tell me to dumb down my resume. And I don't really agree with that. Um, I've also have had people tell me to um, change my resume every time I apply to a new job and tweak it. But what I have, what I've noticed, um, and I've noticed this for probably the last 20 years, that I've worked beside some employees, some colleagues that have done that. And when they've gotten in the role, um, they really didn't have the skill set that they needed. Now, the employer worked with them and helped them build their skill set. But what they claimed they could do, they really couldn't. My resume is long, and I know that when HR professionals get it, I have had a few people say, I can't believe this woman's resume is this long. But just like when you apply on um, the government, when you go to the US.gov site and you apply, they require you to list all of your jobs. And the reason they ask you to do that is because every job builds on a different job or it builds on the next job. So say you had a job as a salesperson and then your next job, you were a sales manager. And then say you you decided um, to switch careers and you went into home improvement, you opened your own company and you, you, you became an entrepreneur. And then after being an entrepreneur, maybe you didn't do 
financially as well as you thought you was going to do as that entrepreneur. So while you did your sidekick job as a entrepreneur, you decided you needed a full-time gig and you went back into the work world and, and obtained a full-time job, but you never did what you're doing before. Say you switched from sales, um, and retail, and now you're in, now you're working in, um, a restaurant as a, um, as a manager of a restaurant. So even though you've had continuous work experience and you've had entrepreneurship experience, it may not be in the same industry. However, they can look on your resume and see the different transferable experience that you had from being a salesperson, from being a sales manager, from being an entrepreneur, to going into the restaurant business and being a manager. That is why you, in the government, they want to see all of your experience. Not only that, it tells them a story. Plus, they wanna, they, they wanna reach back to all of them too. That's also a good reason why. And people do not understand some companies, when you, some companies have a database that actually reads your resume. And the first person that touches your resume is an HR professional. However, it was the computer that sent your resume from the portal to them. It looked for keywords in your resume for the position that you're applying for. And if those keywords match, then they calculate, okay, you were in that job for how many years or or months or whatever. And then it gives them a, it gives them a snapshot and says, okay, yes, this person fits this, this role because they've had this amount of experience in that in which we ask for in their, in our job posting. And then your resume will move over to a human. And once the human gets it, then the human actually goes through and basically does the same thing as the, the database did, but it's basically confirming what their criteria is. And then usually they have a scoring mechanism in which they score all the resumes that made it out of the database and into their, their, on their desktop. And then they score you. And if they have a flat, say the score is from one to uh, 50 and the cutoff is 25, everyone below 25 don't get moved up or don't get um, suggested to move forward in the application process. Everybody above 25 moves over to the application process. And I'm telling you, this is not the way in every company. Every company doesn't do that. Every company doesn't do that. Most people will tell you, make your resume no more than a couple pages. 
But when you have extensive experience and different fields and you have re-evented yourself every so often, five years, 10 years, you know, and you have different experience, you want to show how well you have transferred your experience, your talent from one industry to the next. And that's my opinion. Now, some HR professionals may not agree with that, but that's my opinion. Because when I was, I used to be director of finance and operations at a nonprofit. And under that title, I was in charge of human resources. Everything human resources came through me. And I remember one time I actually had a, we were looking for an attorney. And I, we, did, we did the posting. Um, I wrote the job um, description and put the post out there. And I got over 200 applications for an attorney. And I couldn't believe I got 200, over 200 applications. My boss actually came to me and said, the executive director, he said to me, um, Taboo, um, I, I, I'm not going to look through 200 applications. Um, can you please narrow this down to, I think he only wanted to see five. So I, I asked the hiring manager, the director, um, I sent her out of the 200, I think I got it down to about maybe 50 that fit the criteria we were looking for. And I sent the hiring manager 50 resumes. And she looked through them and, and said, okay, out of the 50, I here's, here's tw- maybe 20 that I would really like to interview. And I said, okay. And we talked about why she wanted to interview them and so forth. And I said, okay. So I did my, I did my, um, I, I did a, my first call to them. Um, I sent them an email and let them know that, you know, their resumes were being forwarded. And I sent the others, the others that we didn't, interview, I sent them an acknowledgement, thanking them for applying, but we've chosen to move forward with other candidates. And this process took me, I guess about a month to get all of the candidates that we wanted to interview into the office to get interviewed. And we did have some um, candidates that were lived in a different state, which we had to, um, that pushed out how long we took the first interviews because the first interviews that was in person, um, because we had candidates that were out of state. And back then you had to come in person. If you lived out of state, you had to get on a plane or drive to the interview. Post-COVID has changed that world for us, which is awesome. Now you can get on a Zoom call, jump on a Teams call, get on a Meets call for an interview for out of state. 
You don't have to be on a plane within the next three or four days to go in to interview. So my suggestion to business owners that have closed their business during COVID and for employees that have lost their jobs due to COVID and the companies didn't open back up, my suggestion is to not be a peg inside of a box. Don't put yourself, don't, don't put yourself in a fishbowl if you can be in the sea. Don't put yourself, you know, don't limit your capabilities. If you were in business for yourself prior to COVID, then you do have transferable skills to offer another company. I get it. I know. I know how it feels to say, you know, I really wanted this to work where I didn't have to work for somebody else. I do understand that. But if you have to do it, you know, until you save up enough money for your next company, then do what you gotta do. To those employees that, you know, were blessed to be on a company, be at a company for 20 years or 30 years, you have so much to offer other companies. And, you know, I always looked for diversity when I was hiring. Um, not only in ethnicity, not only in age, um, but in um, um, I'm trying to figure out the right word to put this. You could be you could be the same ethnicity. And, but still you are individual and you still bring diversity. You could be, you could be opposite ethnicities and actually be, you know, have the same circumstances and there be no diversity. The diversity would be of your skin tone, your skin color. Your your diversity in your and where you worked, the different cultures you worked in is important. Not only in the titles of your job and what you did, but the culture you you worked in. Some companies say you used to work for Google. And you were you were a, um, you were on there, you were in their um, call center and you worked for Google. And say a new ho- a hospital now wants to start a call center. You've never worked in the health field, 
but your transferable skills in the call center at Google helped you get the job at the hospital call center, not only because you worked in the call center, but because they liked the fact of you came from Google. You have a, you have the experience, the culture of Google on your resume and that appeals to the new company because you came from an organization that they like how they have mimicked their, how they've, how they've culturated their call center. Another example of that is Disney. A lot of people love the Disney culture and how they roll out the red carpet for you. So when you have Disney on your resume and say you were, you were a character at Disney, but now you are applying for a management position in a retail store and that retail manager might say, okay, um, you don't have, you don't, it doesn't say manager on your resume. But you worked for Disney as a cartoon character. I know that you know how to bring great customer service as a manager. And as a manager, you need that soft skill on how to deal with people, with folk. So it might not say manager on there, but they're looking at the company, the culture in which you've come from. And they're going to say, okay, I might give you a shot at this because you have a soft skill that I desire and I need in my company. So you don't want to count yourself out just because just because you you might not have manager on your resume. You might have all the other all the other skill sets that they're asking for and and need. Some of the other soft skills that I Googled and found are communications, leadership, problem solving, adaptability, teamwork, creativity, time management, emotional intelligence, active listening, critical thinking, organization, empathy, conflict resolution, flexibility, work ethic, decision-making, collaboration, interpersonal communication, negotiation, persuasive writing, management, motivation, and confidence. I'm going to read that over again because I think this list is very important. And you can Google it yourself. You can just put in soft skills examples and a list will come up and a drop down will come up 
under each category so that you can know what that actual soft skills, um, the definition of that soft skill. Communication, leadership. How many of you guys that owned your own companies previous to COVID have communication skills? I guarantee you, you got that. If you owned your own business, I know you got leadership skills. You definitely have problem solving skills. Adaptability. If you are entrepreneurs, you have, you know how to adapt. You don't know how many companies that is so important because things change. I used to work for a person that told me he hated change. And I looked at him and said, you hate change? (laughs) I don't know how you're going to make it if you don't like change. Things change all the time. You have to be able to adapt to the changes. You got to know when to pivot as an organization and as an employee. Teamwork, creativity, time management, emotional intelligence, active listening, critical thinking, organization, empathy, conflict resolution, flexibility, work ethic, decision-making, collaboration, interpersonal communication, negotiation, persuasion, writing, management, motivation, confidence. Think about writing. I'm an author and I have self-published my own books. So that's a soft skill that some organizations could look on my resume and say, you know what? Um, I know business writing might be different than being a, no- being a novelist, but she at least has the basis for writing. We just need to teach her how we want her to write for us. Now, I actually do know how to write for business, <laughs> business writing. Um, I used to be a... Um, I used to be a underwriter for the state of Maryland and I had to write proposals um, to the board to um, get deals done, projects done. So I know how to do that type of writing. I also wrote a um, human resource manual for um, policies and procedures for a, for a business. And so I have that kind of writing background as well. But that's a soft skill that if you say you, you, you worked for the newspaper and you were an editor for the newspaper and now the newspaper has gone instead of they don't have um, their readership has dropped for hard copy papers and your division was cut in half and now you do not have that job anymore but you've been a you've been an editor for a newspaper for 15 years and now you find yourself looking for a job and you're like there's no jobs in this the, this area in this industry 
what am I supposed to do? I have 15 years as an editor and I need to be able to transfer my editing skills to another industry. Well, there is policy manuals. There are companies that have websites that need somebody to edit them and to come up with the information that goes into them and to make sure everything's right. There are, um, there is not a company in the world that don't have writers. I mean, they have to write the slogans. They have to write the manuals. They have to write the, um, the stuff in the website. They have to, they have to write the letters to their, to their, um, to their customers. Um, they have to write, I mean, there's all kinds of types of different writing. So just because you were in the industry of the newspaper and now you're no longer that industry, you can't seem to get a job in the newspaper industry anymore. Does it mean that your transferable skills as a writer or editor won't transfer to a new industry? That's why I thought and I believe that dumbing down your resume is not a good idea to fit into somebody's box because you want an employer a a, a potential employer to see the whole you, the holistic you and not just that little title that they are looking for or those words that that, that, that um, software is gonna pick up to say that, yes, you should be moved forward onto a interview because you had five years of this experience and six years of that experience, but they're looking at the holistic approach of you as a candidate and everything that you bring with you from all of your prior experiences and want to make a decision. Yes, they're going to have they're going to have the basic requirements that they're absolutely going to need. But what do you offer the employer that they might not have thought they needed? And if you dumb down your resume just to fit in their box and you're a peg they might miss you. You might not get selected because what you thought they set up their, they set up their, their software, the words to pick out from your resume. You might have missed something because you dumbed down what you did because you, you were told to do a two pager and that's it. I'm not reading more than two pages, but now That two-pager has eliminated a lot of information that may be important for you to land your next job. Am I saying that you have to have a 100-page resume? No, I'm not. But if you have had a lot of experience and it doesn't fit on two pages and you really need to show that you've been in this industry and that industry and it wasn't that you know you had 
you know, because you wasn't a good employee, you just jumped around. But you really had to re, you really reinvented yourself every maybe five or 10 years. Or you owned a business for this amount of time. And you want to show what you did prior to you owning that business or after owning the business. I think in this new era of hiring, we're going to have to get back to being good to great from Jim Collins. I employ, I highly suggest anyone in a management role, an executive leadership role, if you have never read Jim Jim Collins' series of books, Good to Great, I highly suggest you read them, especially now in this COVID, post-COVID world, because you need to onboard the brightest, the greatest, and it's, it may not look like the box <laughs> that you ask your HR professionals to look for. You might have you might have an HR professional that raise their hand and speak out of turn and say, "Hey, CEO, president, COO, owner. I know we said we wanted blah 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 blah, but I have an outstanding candidate here." that yes, fits our minimum requirements, but guess what else he or she or they or them or her or him has to offer? Guess what other soft skills they bring to the table? We don't have nobody else here with that background. Or we do have people with that background But this person has this to it. That's a little bit different than that employee. That's going to bring a little bit more dynamic to the table. How about that? CEOs, presidents, CEO, owners, HR professionals. I implore you. Since we have a great resignation, I implore you to not put people in a box. They might be a circle. They might be a triangle. They might be a peg. They might be a rectangle. You know, (laughs) they may, you know, bring something other than what you were just looking on on the surface. Some organizations have the opportunity with this great resignation to change their culture for the good. Some companies, the reason they got a great resignation is because their culture was toxic. And people are like, I don't, I, I can't stay there. I'm not going to work there anymore. And they, people left in droves because it's a toxic environment. This gives you the opportunity as leaders to say, okay, let's learn from our past history. 
let's take on this opportunity and change our culture. And then we might have companies, you know, that have a great culture, but want a better culture, want to, you know, build on that culture. So who in our candidate pool fits the culture that we are looking for? That's important because there are all kinds of organization, no cultures and all kinds of organizational cultures are not for everyone. Everybody don't fit with the same type of organizational culture. And if you Google organizational cultures, I've found that there are 12 different organizations. There are, wait a minute. If you go to, it's AIHR.com. They talk about what is an organizational culture. And I'm going to read it for you. The word culture has its origins in the Latin word color. C-O-L-E-R-E, which means to tend or cultivate. Simply put, organizational culture is how leadership tends to cultivate or take care of its business, stakeholders, and employees. Culture can be defined as the consistent organizational behaviors of employer employees and leaders' norms. Organizational culture facilitates the achievements of the organization's strategic objectives, attracts the right employees, and make those employees who may not fit stand out. It is also marketed to customers and key stakeholders. Organizational culture often mirrors the organization's core values and directly reflects the organization's leadership. The culture can be observed in how decisions are made top down or bottom up and whether employees are confident to express independent thoughts and feelings without fear of being repudiated. It materializes through its benefit plans and whether employees are recognized and rewarded for excelling at their work. That was from AIHR.com, Academy to Innovative HR. Organizational culture is not static. It's continuously evolves both through deliberate organization development interventions and cultural transformation process as well as organically. That is why I'm saying in this great resignation, there are going to be some cultural transformations in companies because they need to. Why not 
Use this time to build a better, greater organizational culture that welcomes more people and that is not toxic. That would be my suggestion. Academy to Innovate HR says that there are four different kinds of organizational cultures. And they are adocracy, which is spelled A-D-H-O-R, I mean A-D-H-O-C-R-A-C-Y, and you can look this up. That is the dynamic entrepreneurial create culture. So all those entrepreneurs out there that I just talked about, if there's an organization that has that type of culture, they're looking for you now. They want to onboard you. Clan culture, which it says, the people-oriented, friendly, collaborative culture, that's what Google has been known for. That's what Facebook has been known for. Hierarchy culture, the process-oriented, structured culture, control culture. There are some organizations that, you know, have strict guidelines. This is, this is the rule. You have to abide by this rule. Don't ask this person a question. You have to use the hierarchy. Go directly to your supervisor. Don't go to another supervisor. And then market culture. The result-oriented, competitive, compete culture. And then there are some that are a combined of these cultures. You just have to know what is best for you. So when you're interviewing, maybe ask, when they ask you at the end, ask them, what type of culture do you, you think your organization is? You can research it and see, because you, know, you can Google almost any, any company and see what kind of culture it, it is, unless it's a startup. But you can ask in the interview, what type of culture is it? I can tell you when I was in charge, when I was in, when HR um, was under my, um, my direct leadership, when we, on our last interview with a new candidate that we were about ready to offer, or we were actually, or we offered them before their first day, we would ask them to come in and meet the staff and spend an hour and we would actually we actually would pay them that hour to come in and what we were trying to see is if they fit if they came in and say they were used to working and having an office their own personal office and now they have to share space or they're in a cubicle when they walked in that that room for the first time and they see they're in a cubicle and even though they are manager, they thought they were going to have their own office and now they're sharing a space. They may not want that job. And that was the kind of stuff that I did as a HR professional because we wanted our individual that onboarded to, to really stay. And we wanted them 
to see our culture and how they were going to be working. And we did. We would pay them that hour, two hours to come and meet everyone. And then at the end of it, I would, I would, I would actually leave them in their workspace area to talk to some of the staff and to mingle with some of the management team and to observe what was going on. And at the end, when they would come back to my office and I would say to them, do you still want to onboard? Now you have, I mean, it, the, you, you're the driver. Are you satisfied with your workspace? Do you feel like this will be a good fit for you? And you'd be surprised at how many people had never had an organization do that before. I had people that didn't like it. They was like, okay, I, I'm glad you, you did this. Um, I've, I've chosen to, you know, um, rescind my, my, my application. Do you mind? Absolutely not. I mean, sometimes the management team would be upset because that was the candidate they really wanted. And, but we want, I wanted to know up front that this person ain't gonna stay. You know how much money goes into recruiting a new person and training them and onboarding them? There's somewhere, the number depending on the organization can be anywhere between $4,000 and up to onboard, train, and get somebody up and running. For you to lose that person in the first six months that they get there, or the first 90 days, or the first 30 days. You just wasted all that money on onboarding somebody that's not gonna stay. And yes, that was like, (laughs) some of the leadership was like, I cannot believe Taboo does this. But it worked because the people that came and wanted to see their workspace and they were used to being in an office by themselves with a door that shut and then they were they were in cubicles. If they can't work in that type of environment, then, you know, they're not going to be a good fit. And I'm going to give you an example. It might be that you might be a loud talker. And, you know, you're in a space where it's open space and your voice echoes across the whole floor. And now you got complaints from other departments. I can, I can hear Taboo down the hallway and she's in an open space. And then you have to confront that employee and say, Taboo, can you please lower your voice when you're talking? Because you have, we be getting complaints that the other departments that are on this floor can hear you down the hallway. But it's not that you're trying to, you know, you're trying to be seen. It's just that you have a loud voice. And that may not be a great fit for you. I've seen this happen. Or you might be one of those people that, you know, you, you are somebody that don't really trust a lot of people. So 
to put you in an environment that you're not really, you don't, you, you've had bad experiences and you're going to be put in the same type of bad experience may not be a good thing for you. Now you might be in a bad experience, put be put in a bad experience by being in a being placed in a a an office space that you're not used to. So you really do need to make sure that your office space is something that you're that you enjoy, that you would be comfortable in. And yes, like I said, we have, I've had uh, management teams that wasn't too happy with me when we would bring people in to look at the space and they would rescind their office, their offer. But that is okay because we save money because we hired, we onboarded the right candidate. And that's what, that's what we want. You want to onboard the right candidate. The other thing is I was, um, I, when I worked in, I actually worked at one time at the Houston Chronicle and at the Houston Chronicle, um, they have an open space concept and every department is on one floor. And if you have somebody that speaks loudly, that might be a problem because that open concept the next person right next to you wasn't even a cubicle. You didn't have a real cubicle. You had desks right beside each other that you had to make sure you load your voice. So it's important that we we consider how, how a culture um, fits for an individual and how their, their workspace is gonna be. Now, if you're going, you're gonna have a job, for an example, another example, for teleworking. You may be an individual that is not organized and being in a telework position, you don't, you don't thrive in a telework position because you need to, to, to have the synergy of a colleague that, you know, does their work to keep you up to speed with your work. And if you're at home, you might get distracted. But you don't want to tell somebody that, you know, I'm going to get distracted if I get this job and I'm working from home, I'm not going to do my job. No, you're not going to say that. But that might be the type of individual you are. And it's okay to admit that, you know, telework is not the best fit for you. Then there are people that love working alone and they do an outstanding job by working by themselves. And, you know, telework is like golden for them. It was like, it's like the best thing that could happen out of COVID is now that they get to telework. And they actually are more productive working from home than they are sitting in an office. So we have to be more creative in our hiring processes um, post-COVID. And with this great resignation, it gives us the opportunity um, to onboard some great people. It gives 
um, candidates the opportunity to, you know, to show what their, what their soft skills are, to show their transferable skills. And I would say not dumb down your resume is what I would say. Um, and you know, not in the, the other thing I would highly suggest is that you don't put stuff on your resume that you absolutely have no clue what it means. Like you've Googled somebody's resume and you still, oh, that's, that word looks nice. I think I'm gonna add that to my resume or that paragraph sounds nice. I think I'm gonna add that. But yet it doesn't really reflect what you've done. Um, I suggest that. I really suggest that. Um, because you get into a job and it says that you you did blah 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 and you was like, oh girl, I just I, I just took that off the internet. That's you know, I just needed I need a resume that had management and I just took that off of some I saw somebody's resume on Indeed and it said that, so I just put that in mind. But yet you didn't have that experience. So now we've onboarded somebody that, you know, that don't really have the experience that they said they did. And I get, when people see my resume, like I said, um, they look at it and they're like, did she really do all this work? It is no way. I have one job that I swear to goodness, I probably juggled the job of 10 people. And people read that resume, there is no way that woman did all that work. Yes, I really did all that work. And I'm proud of it. It's made me who I am today. And I would say going forward, what I see in the industry, um, I think I think HR is gonna look a little different. Um, I think that they're not gonna just rely on the database to send them the perfect resume, the perfect candidate, that the human part of HR might actually end up coming back. Um, we've gotten away from it. You can't, you, I don't think you were ever going to get to where you can call HR department again and find out where, how your resume is, uh, where you're, where you are as a candidate. I don't think we'll ever get back to that. Because it used to be you could call HR and ask those questions, but you can't do that anymore. Now you can go on a website and you can track where your resume is. Um, you can do that, which I like. Um, but I do believe that I think because of this great resignation and the possibility of improving cultures inside organizations that want to get to the next level, I believe that HR professionals are going to start reading full resumes again. Once the database collects it and passes it on to them, I think if they get a person that has a resume that's more than two pages, I think now they'll actually start reading it. And maybe when it comes to the, the um, generating the questions, they're going to be asked to all candidates that they, you know, those questions will leave them a space for, for if, if it's something on somebody's resume that they wasn't sure about, they can explain it. And I, I really, I really think that HR is going to evolve 
out of COVID a better industry. And I think we're going to get, we're going to have some really powerhouse um, organizations that's going to really excel and be much better than they were prior to COVID because of all of the, the new pool of candidates that um, have brought much diversity. Because when you look at people that had years of experience in different industries, um, entrepreneurs, business owners, um, high level executives that companies have closed up, it has bring, it, it brings a new flavor and a new diversity to the, to the candidate poll. And I think out of that, that's a good thing. I think we're going to see some, some new, some organizations that are going to absolutely excel post COVID. And we're going to see some that might close their doors because they, their organization is not adapting. Haven't, haven't pivoted, haven't seen the writing on the wall and see that they can't do things the way they used to and they need to pivot. I had a entrepreneur um, on one of my podcasts that told me that what made her small business um, different and, and, and better and more successful is that her business wasn't so big that when they needed to pivot, they, they couldn't do that. With some organizations, they have so many layers of management, so many layers of, um, of leadership that when it comes time to pull the trigger and pivot, the boat is so big that it takes so long to turn it and to change the direction. And I think that is what is gonna come out of COVID. I think that's what's gonna come out of it. I think we're gonna have more innovative, creative ways to onboard new employees, to offer them better um, selection of benefits, maybe even have bonuses, um, signing bonuses, or you make it past your first 90 days and you get, you know, you get a thousand dollars. If you make it past the, the next 90 days or to a year, then you get $2,000 more. Um, and if you complete, you know, your, your three years or four years, then at the end of that, if you have successfully um, had um, um, appraisals that were meet so higher on top of your your annual um, your annual um, raise, you'll get a flat five thousand dollar bonus. I mean, I think companies are going to be more creative. Um, I think that they're going to start really. We they say they're going to look at transferable skills but yet they're not really looking at transferable skills. They, they look in a box. Well, I don't say it didn't say HR in her title. So that means she, she didn't work in HR, but all through her resume, you can see that she's been in HR. It may not be her title, but that was what she was doing. Um, you might have somebody that, you know, don't have management in every, every aspect of their title, but, in every job, they were a manager. And it says it in there, but it's not, it doesn't say it in the title. I think we're gonna really start reading the resumes. 
So I employ all of those entrepreneurs, all of those employees that are seeking a new job, a new career in a new industry or in the same industry, but a different company. I, I, I employ you not to dumb down your resume. Don't, you know, don't dumb it down. And what I, the other thing is don't lie. If you didn't do some, if you didn't work on that database, don't put that you worked on that database and you did. Um, if you don't have this skill, be honest about it. Say, I don't have that skill. I mean, when you get in the interview, if you check, if their box had 15 things on there and you made the list of 13 things, but there are two things that you really didn't know, be honest if they ask you. I, as a, at, in a hiring role, I would rather my candidate be honest so that I know exactly what I'm getting in a candidate so that we know if this is who we want to bring on board, what that person's lack, what they lack. I actually had one employee one time ask me, uh, what was my weakness? Most people don't like talking about weaknesses and some I've actually interviewed people and say, I don't have any weaknesses. Everyone has a weakness. And I believe that if a cat, if they ask you that in a question, they really want to know your weakness. Um, not because they're going to use it against you and not hire you, but if that weakness is something that is a strength in another employee, then it doesn't matter to them because they have somebody else that already has that as a strength. I need you for what you have as your strength. So think about that in the hiring process. Think about that candidates when you write your resume. Okay. Cause let's play ball and win. We want to win. We want to win. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. Listeners, please become a listener supporter. Please tune in next time to listen to a genuine discussion with and for genuine folk. And let's play ball and win. This is Taboo Winslow Morris, sole owner and founder of Triumphant Athletic Agency and author. Thank you again for listening to my podcast, Confronting Goliath. And let's play ball and win. Thank you and tune in again. Thank you.